Hey everyone, I'm Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 12 of the show where we are continuing our journey through early Marvels. And we are picking up in the middle of November 1962. We're nearing the end of our first like big full year. Although wow. I still can't really say that because like superhero comics didn't really start until June. Um, but you know, <laughs> we're, we're getting somewhere to something. You know, getting what, somewhere. You know what it is. Can I, can I tell them, Michael, what we're really trying to get to? Yeah. We want to get to Spider-Man. Yeah. That's it. And then we're just going to quit. <laughs> We are well, eagerly anticipating the arrival of Spider-Man to this podcast. <laughs> and then we'll probably just go like, and then there were more issues in between, yada, yada, yada. Okay, Spider-Man number two. Right. And then more issues, yada, yada, Spider-Man number three. That's going to be the format of the show after we get to Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man all the time. Fantastic Four another half of the time and then everything else crammed in the yeah. past. <laughs> oh, but we'll Not also right. we'll have Iron Man. Iron Man's going to show up. Yeah, they start, they start at the same time, so that'll be good. And then how many years before Iron Man figures out to start the Avengers? Like, same year, next year? Well, it's kind of weird. Um, Spider-Man number one is like the median of the Marvel Universe up to Avengers 1. Okay. So if you take all of the issues from Fantastic Four 1 to Avengers 1 and stack them up, Spider-Man 1 is basically the middle issue. Wow. So, uh, um, so we got to do this double essentially to get to Avengers. Yeah. 14 okay. episodes for Spider-Man one, 28 episodes for Avengers one. All right. We'll get there kids. We're going to do it. And then it'll really blow wide open. Yeah. Uh, but for <laughs> now, X-Men, all, X-Men uh, and all sorts of stuff by then. Oh yeah. And of course the greatest superhero of all time, but we'll get to that someday. So in the meantime, we're at journey into mystery number 88 which came out in November 2nd of 1962, on November 2nd, 1962. And it's my job. Yeah, that first week. I have November 1st, 1962. You have November 2nd? You know what? I don't. I have November 1st, but I'm using a a software, and I put 2nd so that it would sort properly when I read them. And then I (laughs) forgot I did that, so I just said November 2nd. But you're right. It's November 1st. First week in November, you know, whatever. Sometime in November. We don't know if these are all accurate dates anyway, but close enough. Um, my turn to summarize. It is the second appearance of Loki. And I can't remember which issue was the first appearance. Was it two issues ago, three issues ago, something so. like that? 80, 86, I think, was the first one. 86. And we left off 86 with Thor getting sick of Loki's shenanigans. He ties him to his hammer and throws him to the doorstep of Asgard. Um, and that's where this issue picks up. Uh, Loki lands. He has to report in to Odin. Odin tells him, you've been up to no good. Per usual, you are not allowed to leave Asgard ever. Uh, Loki says, aw shucks, okay. And then immediately goes into another room and creates his own magic TV where he can watch Thor and, you know, grit his teeth and be all mad. But he watches Thor um, from last issue's story where Thor fights commies with – and they they – chain him up with an electric charged uh, shackles and he watches as Thor turns into Donald Blake, escapes the shackles, touches the hammer and becomes Thor again. Now Loki is happy. Oh my God, I just found out Thor has a huge secret and the secret is weakness. So I'm going to go back down to Earth. I'm going to take care of this Thor. So he gets past um, Hemdel, who's guarding the entrance or the exit of Asgard by turning into a little slithery snake and snaking between his feet, slides his way down the Rainbow Bridge, 
And he goes to Donald Blake's office disguised as an old man. He immediately hypnotizes Jane and whispers some instruction in her ear that we'll hear about later. Um, I can't remember what happens. Oh, then he goes into Donald Blake's office and he says, it's I, Loki. And Donald Blake turns to Thor and says, hey, you want to fight? Let's fight. He says, I do want to fight, but I want to fight at noon in Central Park. Meet me there. And Thor agrees because he's a hero. And he gets there and he immediately throws his hammer at Loki just as Jane shows up because I guess that was the instruction for her to come to Central Park also. So she's hypnotized and she just walks in there and Loki creates like an imaginary tiger to attack Jane. So now Thor has a choice. Get his hammer, save Jane. Obviously he saves Jane and the hammer – uh, I don't know. 60 seconds happens and he turns to Donald Blake and that's when Loki creates like a force field around the hammer. So now guess what? He can't touch the hammer. He can't turn back into Thor at which point he kind of gives up, goes back to the office and Loki goes on a rampage either around New York or if not the entire world or at least America. And he does things like uh, he turns cars to like candy or something like mm-hmm. that. He turns people to white silhouette things, shapes. He's really into that, the whole. Yeah, he did that silhouette. last time too. The whole yeah, he did it. Thing. He made them black last time. Now they're white. Um, he puts wings on missiles and wrecks like military tests and stuff. He basically just does a bunch of mischievous, mischievous, non-lethal but annoying things. Um but Thor is worried that if he just lets him keep going, it's just going to get worse and worse because I guess he knows Loki's history. Uh, he comes up with an idea though and he – I can't remember how he contacts Loki or if he just finds him again. But he goes to the park where the hammer is in the force field and he well, sees – um, He puts ahead. out a, a news report that Thor is going to vow to defeat Loki oh. before the end of the week. OK. So that's it. Yeah. He puts a challenge in the classifieds. And Loki comes back to meet the challenge. He sees Thor standing there and he goes, what? No, the hammer's underneath that force field right there. I better check. Takes the force field off and Donald Blake leaps out of the bushes, says, psych, that was just a Thor balloon and touches the hammer and becomes Thor. And then Loki's like, yeeks, uh, turns into a pigeon and kind of tries to blend in with other pigeons. But then Thor quickly finds like a bag of bird seed or something and tosses it down to see who's actually interested and the one that isn't is of course loki who tries to fly away um but thor grabs like a net from a tennis court and flies after him and loki's like i'll be an arrogant like you can get close you can get close as soon as you get close i'm gonna turn into a rocket go ahead get close get close get close haha but he doesn't know that thor has a net and thor shoots the net out and captures him and this time takes him personally to asgard instead of just throwing him by hammer he flies him to Asgard, again puts him on the doorstep and says, dudes, seriously, guys, this time, can you keep him here? And they all say, what would we do without Thor's power? The end. Da, 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 da. Mighty Thor. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say I like this issue more than the previous Loki issue, but I feel like Loki had a better better plan in this story. He did seem more Loki-like. Yeah. I mean, the silly thing is, is that once he has his way, and Thor is helpless, what does he do? Yeah. Crap. But that's like, if he's the god of mischief, that's his bill, right? Well, mischief and lies and evil. Okay. So that always seemed to me like that doesn't necessarily mean he's like Hitler. He's just a guy who likes to wreck things for people. So he's Wreck-It Ralph. He just likes to mess stuff up and no one appreciates it. Wreck-It Ralph is awesome. But yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like I could see him being the guy behind the scenes that makes the – the hero's uh, plot fail. 
maybe. Okay. But not necessarily the guy the heroes have to defeat, although as soon as I say that, that's the entire premise for why the Avengers form. But uh, Yeah, see, I feel like the Loki, as he becomes later, is a much more, like, sinister force. And it's not just a hatred of Thor. Like, left to his own devices, he's going to cause Ragnarok. Yeah. I don't know. Like, um, of course, right now, right now he's just Loki and he's such a terrible thing and we must stop him and not let him go around because he will turn your bicycle into peppermint. Like, he will turn your car into ice cream and he will, um, make your rockets fall into the ocean as duds. He's Mitzel, Mixix, Mixius Pitalix or whatever. I guess so. Uh, But he hates Thor. Um, actually, he's very similar to what we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, Fantastic Four Eleven. He is, but he has, he's more, he's less accidental about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go by the MCU, for instance, which of course is much later than this, so why would we go by that? But like, I even think Tom Hiddleston's, uh, Loki wasn't all that, you knew he wasn't necessarily a great guy. Mm-hmm. And right now he's not necessarily a great guy, but he kind of seems harmless at the same time. Or like he may do the right thing, but he also might not. Um, and it wasn't until he found out that Odin had been lying to him his whole life about his birthright and stuff that he really started like amping up his, whole taking over Asgard thing. Right. Like before that, he was just a guy that maybe even within Thor's group, nobody really trusted him, trusted him. Um, but I don't know. Um, we do get the discussion on the cover about how it's going to be brother versus brother. Um, <gasps> Does it say that? Did it say that? Though both of you are my sons. Oh, my God. defeat the evil Loki for the sake of mankind. I totally missed that. Because but it's really not discussing the issue. No, I was going to say the only thing is Odin refers to he refers to Odin as yes father. Right. That's it. I actually missed that the first time through. I saw it while you were recapping. I didn't miss it, but I thought maybe they meant like all father, like everybody calls him father. You call Jesus father, you know. Right. Or you call you call a local priest father if you're Catholic. Um, they haven't but called right there, Odin yeah. the all father yet. Well, they haven't He's had the, Odin do much. Right, 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 right. So it's, it's still all very undeveloped. Um, we did mention just to, just to bring it up again, just in case you want to miss it before, we mentioned how in the myths, they're not brothers. Loki is not related to Odin. No. So and this comic is actually bringing that into the mythology in a new way. Maybe they're trying to make Loki a more personal threat, but that doesn't really make it part of the story. So I, I, I don't see how. Yeah. I mean, we don't really get the backstory as to why Thor put Loki in the tree in his first appearance or why mm-hmm. o- why Loki hates Thor so much over everybody else. Yeah. Um, in fact, if we go back to mythology, like I think I said already, like I think it's Hemdel and Loki that end up killing each other. Uh, and here we have yeah. here we have Hemdel in the story interacting with Loki again in the smallest of way, again, letting him go escape. <laughs> I know is bad uh, at his job. <laughs> Yeah, he's not the all-seeing Hemdel that I assume he eventually becomes. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't he, know he, he lets him out of a tree. He doesn't know he escapes through his, his feet. Eh. And Loki and Balder develop a really animosity-filled relationship much later down, you know, down the road, the seventies. Um, but we haven't even met Balder yet. I don't know. It's it's weird. But yeah. the idea of Thor and Loki being brothers is still in its nascent stages. Yes. Uh, I did really like the continuity nod at the beginning where Loki mm-hmm. like watched the events of last issue. Yeah. And also how it, and it starts this issue off with the last panel we saw of Loki. 
and he sees that Thor has a human guise. And so last time we saw Loki, he commented about that he doesn't know where Thor has been. No one knows where he's been or why. And now he at least partly knows right. where Thor has been while missing from Asgard. Who knows? I mean, again, they haven't developed this yet. But theoretically, Thor was in Asgard at one point and then wasn't. And we don't know how long that's been. Or why only Loki cares. Yeah, yeah. Like, because he's interacted with his father. He's able to summon his father's big, you know, Mufasa face to find mm-hmm. out, like, how to time travel. But they never have a discussion like, hey, been a while. Hey, where you been? Yeah, at the end of the issue, too, when he shows up with Loki, um, I was like, it's always good to see my favorite son. And Thor's like, skidoo. <laughs> that's exactly what happened yes um yeah so it's like again i guess you could write that off that odin is the all-father and he of course knows because we know this is all big retcon and he is thor and he got cursed by odin so he knows but no one right. else is asking either except loki who was stuck in a tree it's just interesting how it all how it all builds up, how like the flavors are mixed in slowly. Yeah. Until they're just like, okay, you know what? Here's the deal. Like I, I wa- think it's like in one twenty five or anything. I wonder if the Kirby Lee thing is just like we have to acknowledge that Asgard exists because that's the source of his power, but do we really want him hanging out there? Do we want to get into all that? But then they uh, keep yeah, like they keep dipping their toe into it. And then Kirby's gonna leave the book, and when he gets back to the book, they're like, Yes, now's the time. We're going to make Asgard a thing. Yeah. Well, of course, Kirby would love it. Um, page five, panel yeah. two. Yeah. Thor says, the God of Thunder has defeated you once, and he will do it again. I'm like, really? Once? Only once. I mean, yes, we've well, had one other issue, but like, also, you put him in the tree. Does he remember that? Oh. See, he keeps going back and forth, because he remembered Loki by just seeing him, and he knew he was a bad guy. But does he really know? Because he's also acts like he's Donald Blake. This reminds me of what you said last time about Hulk having access to Bruce Banner's knowledge. And does he do a very good job of actually tapping into that? Yeah. Like Blake as Thor has access to Thor's mentality, but doesn't do a good job of accessing it. Oh, but that's actually kind of a – that is kind of similar to the Christian mythology where you have like Jesus is God incarnate, mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily access all of that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, because he does a lot of Thor things for someone who does who technically isn't Thor, at least as of this writing. Mm-hmm. He's got Thor's powers. He has Thor's powers. But he's always been Donald Blake in Thor's body, I guess. So there's a lot of things he does where you're like, how did he know he could do that? Like summoning right. summoning Odin, for instance, like we just talked about. How did he know he could do that? Or like the last issue, I think he like – did a like static cling on his hammer and made it shoot all this weird lightning or something by rubbing it really fast. How did he know he could do that? Um, and how do we not make masturbation jokes out of that? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so, so it's like he kind of, he kind of knows and he kind of, he knows when it's in service of the story and he doesn't know when it's also in service of the story. Cause I feel like some of those could be just explained away as like, I'm just going to try this and see if it works. Yeah. I mean, the, but tapping- the rubbing it to shoot sparks out is kind of weird in that regard. Cause like, I'm just going to rub my hammer and see if sparks come out. That doesn't really make – that does not make as much sense as I wonder if I can call Odin. Hey, Odin, are or, you there? Oh, well, or, it worked. Or throw Loki to Asgard. Like how does he even know where it is? Yeah. Let alone that he, he can do that. There this time. Yeah. And he's not wowed by that, at least that we see. 
course, we don't know what happens when he gets there because we don't see anything. It goes off. It goes like into a long shot of just, you know, Asgard itself. So we don't know what happens. Page five, panel five reminded me of a Superman moment that I actually just recently read in the comic. Okay. Where somebody was like, I came to Metropolis and like, I remember the first time Superman flew overhead and it was just so cool. Cause like I live in Metropolis now and Superman just flew over my head and here we are. And the ki- people are just like standing around. Oh, look, it's Thor. I wonder where he's going. He must be following someone. I'm sure glad it's not me. And it's just like, it's just, a, it's just a cool moment. Hey, look, yeah. there's Thor flying by. That's awesome. Go be Thor, Thor. You've read, uh, Marvels, I assume. Yes. Oh, Marvels takes this idea yeah. to the best 11 ever. But what's cool is like this idea is in there before Marvels. Like we find these moments all the time where people are commenting on the heroes. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I, don't, I hate to keep like always comparing DC. I'm sure they do it in DC too, but it just feels like really cool world building to me. Like you, you see the heroes from our points of view every once in a while. Well, I can't speak for all DC, but I have read every single Superman comic from this era, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. Okay. Well, like there was one issue of Batman, because <laughs> I've read some Golden Age Batman, I remember, where he takes the bat plane out for the first time, and everybody's like, oh, a bat, and they run screaming, and I always thought that was a cool panel. Yeah. You know, well, that sort of thing. Golden Age, there was some kind of amazement from Superman being so super, and there is like, you know, the fan club of Jimmy Olsen, whenever Superman shows up with normal people, especially kids like, Ooh, look at Superman. But, but this notion of like, let's put the camera down to the bird's eye. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the opposite of that. Let's put the camera down on the people's level yeah, and just have them be in awe of a superhero flying by those kinds of moments. Yeah. They didn't exist in 60s Superman. No, I think they're really cool too. Yeah, they're cool. Um, I'm running out of things to say. Yeah. I mean, Loki captures Again, the hammer. It does mm-hmm. not change back into a cane. And I'm waiting to see if maybe it's just my bad memory or if this is the way it always will be. But, like, the hammer doesn't turn into a cane, and he doesn't have to tap it to become Thor again. He just has to grab the hammer. He just has to touch it, which is much if more it, convenient. Yeah. If it is a cane, he has to smash it to become Thor. Yeah, but he if turned... it's already a hammer, he just picks up the hammer. He turned it into the cane to begin with. Mm-hmm. I like... I don't know where he got the blow-up uh, Thor balloon, but or where Hulk got the abominable snowman costume for that matter. That just popped into my brain. But um, you ever have that kept it while they were flying, jumping to Tibet, but that's that's the last episode thing. You ever done a, uh, that magic trick where you put a quarter under a cup and you say, I bet you I can get that quarter without touching the cup. Oh, I've been so long since I've seen this. And then somebody says, and then you wave your hand and you say, okay, I have it in my hand. And they go, no, it's under the cup. No, it isn't. It's in my hand. And they pull the cup up to look and you grab the quarter. Say, see, I got it without touching the cup. I'm totally doing that to Keenan tomorrow. Okay, well, that's what that's what Donald Blake did to Loki. I'm going to do a magic trick on you, Keenan, tomorrow. Okay, <laughs> he's like, look, I have the hammer here, and then Loki's like, no, it's under the force field. No, it's right here. <laughs> well, let me take out my force field so I can see if the hammer's there, and then he touches it. Don't <laughs> see. I told you I could get it at the. Um... Just before we get there, we're still back at the candy and ice cream part. Uh-huh. Um, the first panel on that page nine, I don't believe it. There's no such thing as the car made of ice cream. It's just <laughs> such a ridiculous sentence. They remind me of, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> like, how could this be happening? I don't, this isn't supposed to happen. Why is my car made of ice cream? No. I, I love the little, the nice little touch they came up with where all the dogs come out to lick the, 
bicycle and the ice cream cars and stuff. That was a nice bit of art from Kirby. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the, that's the one that there's one that one dog that's walking like a bear. I don't know what's up with him. Yeah, but still, it's a cool idea. Um, this was a fun little issue, even though Loki's kind of bananas in it. This is a fun little issue. I think it's hilarious. The whole like he turns to a pigeon. <laughs> and then I love the next panel of the, like it's like a silhouette of the Hulk just rushing across the street to hit the peanuts vending machine guy. If there's anything pitches like it's peanuts, it this reminds peanut bag at him. <laughs> I just feel like that's something that like I've never read a Superboy comic, but I bet you that happens in Superboy comics, something like that. Yeah, if where it's just super silly and but it was funny. Oh, in the art. Of Loki, like, vamoosing down to... That's a fantastic image. Yeah. With the smoke and the horns, he looks like a devil. I was just wondering why... What, he couldn't just eat some peanuts? Is <laughs> <laughs> it, like, anti-peanut? Just eat some. I'm a bird. I must not eat the peanuts. <laughs> Wait, and I, I'm confused. Do pigeons... Now, I've not lived in New York. Do pigeons eat peanuts? I, I associate would. them with, like, bread things, but they have little beaks, and compared to little beaks, peanuts are kind of big. Well, let's assume Stan and Jack know New York. We'll assume that, yeah. That, that seems like and, that a, and a pigeon would eat, or at least try to eat a peanut. But they're an invasive population. Yeah. Pigeons are, not Stan and Jack. Um, throws but, nets at Loki, catches but, Loki the bird, and takes him back to Asgard. It's his first time back, and he's like, bye. They all just, like... Well, he doesn't leave, but they're all just like standing around, just like the last time that he threw Loki to Asgard. They all just like stand there. It's really weird, and they try not to show their faces and stuff. So you, it's clearly like they just don't want to really get into this. Oh yeah, we don't actually see Thor leave at this point. He could go and like hang out. He doesn't even talk to them either. There's no dialogue from Thor. It's all Odin. It's a little speech from Odin, and then it's the end. But it shows Thor flying away from Earth. Now I don't know where Asgard is. If it's in a diff- it's supposed to be in a different dimension, or uh, is it actually in our space somewhere? In, in the MCU, it's in our space. It is an actual space planet. So he's flying to that planet. But in the comics, I'm pretty sure it's a whole dimensional thing. I well, think, I think I don't know exactly how it works, but you can only get there on the space bridge. Well, in 1962, in November, Thor can fly in outer space. I'll go with that. Whether, whether that eventually becomes him opening a dimensional portal, I don't know. But right now, it, it looks like he's literally just flying away from the Earth. You're not wrong. They have an actual image of a teeny tiny Earth and Thor's little flight going away. He's flying away from Earth into space to wherever Asgard is. While talking. Well, yeah, he's a god. Yeah. He can talk in space. So he can talk in space. He doesn't need air, any of that fun stuff. So that wraps us up for Thor? Yeah. Um, second battle with Loki, we still are vague on the brothers thing. It hasn't really been – in fact, the word brothers has not been used, just you're both my sons. And that only on the cover except for Loki calling him father just that one time. Right. All right. The next cover of Thor is really great. Um, we'll see if the story is on a future episode because I am going to talk about the Fantastic Four number 11. See, I remember – that it's my turn this time. So, you know, you just went. So we're into Marvel Masterworks number two. Yes, this is um, the second Marvel Masterworks volume, which has a really cool um, painted version of issue 12's cover with the Hulk and the thing in the cave. Mm, that is a good issue um, cover. Yeah, we should put that on the um, 
visual companion when we get to that issue or okay. whatever it is that we're calling our website. Jay and Miles called it the uh, visual companion. Oh, I don't know what we're going to call it. Do you know Jay and Miles? Don't think so. Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. No. It is a fantastic podcast that is going through the X-Men, not issue by issue, but story by story. Okay. So, And they kind of barrel through up to the Dark Phoenix saga pretty quickly. They slow down when they get to Dark Phoenix, and then they kind of start going arc by arc after that. Well, you have to. X-Men, they do New Mutants, they do all the tie-ins. That's awesome. Well, maybe not every little tie-in, but all the major tie-ins. Definitely all the series, the, the team series. So, yeah. Um, listeners, if you've never heard of that and you like the X-Men, explainthexmen.com is the place to find is, that. Is it spelled like X, explain the yeah. X-Men? Who needs E's anyway? Okay. Yeah, so that's how that goes. Explain the X-Men. No okay. hyphens, but yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So the Fantastic Four number 11 has two stories in it, which, cause that's just my curse lately. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, did, I, cause I did that with the Hulk, right? We yeah. talked about how there were two you've stories done, in the Hulk. I got to do, you've done uh, the last two Hulks, two stories in four. I got to do both. And now two stories in this and I'm doing both. So this is, this yeah. is my thing. You know, eventually strange tells is going to have two stories in every issue. So, so, ah. you know, there, yeah. um, the cover has the impossible man as the big thing. And then the bottom is like, and the story you requested today with fantastic four, but on the inside, they're in the reverse order. Yeah. So a visit with the Fantastic Four is first. The Fantastic Four are walking through the streets of New York in their civvies. They're just strolling along like a family. Of course, um, Ben has his overcoat and sunglasses and hat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's new comic book day in New York. And the newsstand has a long line of people to get the latest issue of the Fantastic Four. Everyone's excited. The kids are playing Fantastic Four in the streets. And our heroes notice them and they're like, hey, let me show you this. And they actually do their powers for the kids and they walk on and do about their business. And the kids like, ooh, you know who that was? And the Fantastic Four get to their uh, building and the mailman has arrived. Good old Willie Lumpkin of the wiggly ears uh, with this <laughs> huge sack of mail on his shoulder. Um, Thing takes it from him, takes it off his hands and reads like, we're going to go on up, Willie. You have a good day. And Sue shines her special beam on the elevator door. They go into the elevator. They go up. They start looking at fan mail. Thing opens a package, and it's like um, a spring-loaded boxing glove pops out and whaps him in the face. Um, and so he's like, <laughs> and he figures it was probably the Yancey Street Gang. I don't think we actually have confirmation that it was, but he thinks that it is. So he gets all upset and fusses for a while. And to help him calm down, Reed's like, hey, I've got some more of that, you know, serum we can rub on you and turn you back into Ben Graham. He's like, okay, let's do that. So, um, they put him on, they put the lotion on him. So they put the lotion on his skin. He turns back into Ben again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so he's Ben and, um, Johnny's like, okay, well, if he turns back into the thing, and I don't want to be here to see him get upset, so he flies away. And while he's gone, and Ben is, you know, standing around in his underwear, um, Reed and decides to break the fourth wall and talk to us about his history with Ben, how they went to college together. They met, um, like 20 years ago at whatever university they went to. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's Empire State University, because that's a Spider-Man thing. 
but maybe just state university, maybe just some generic university. Yep. I don't know. State, um, state U. Okay, so it is state U. Okay. So they're roommates, and at first they have a little bit of roughness, but Reed is just such a likable guy. Um, Ben's there on a football scholarship, Reed's there doing science, and they only have barely enough time to graduate from college before they go off to war. And um, Ben is a fighter pilot, Reed is doing science for the OSS, um, and Reed remembers how when he was in the war, he always thought about that one girl who was always mm. in his thoughts, the girl he had left behind, and um, that's Sue. And at this point, it gets kind of awkward, because Sue's like, let's not talk about this. And he's like, but I love you. And she's <laughs> like, I know, get away. <laughs> so um, Ray's like, well, poo. Okay. And he goes into an origin story. They recap the Fantastic Four origin, and I'm not going to go through it all again. If you don't know what happened there, go back to listen to the first episode of this podcast or, you know, read the issue. And, um, <clears throat> oh yeah, then they open up some fan mail that like lambasts Sue and says that she's a useless member of the team because that was definitely a thing people were writing in the letters columns. And that's not saying that sarcastically. People were saying that they were not using Sue very well because they weren't the, the writers and artists. We're not using Sue very well. And so Reed Richards, you know, he tries. He tries to defend um, Sue's role in the team by comparing her to Abraham Lincoln's mother, <laughs> who, you know, birthed Abe and raised him. And Abraham always had a very good affection for him, but didn't actually do anything. And then he's like, oh, oh but you know what? Sue actually has helped. Remember those two times? <laughs> And Ben's like, yeah, and if you want ladies helping and fighting, go watch Lady Wrestling. No one is feministing well here at all. Um, not even Sue, because then Ben turns back into the thing and Sue's like, oh, I shouldn't have been spitting myself. I should have been taking care of you because you're this greatest, amazing person and you're trapped in this form of a monster. And um Ben says something that made me think about how he secretly loves her, something about like, Maybe you could say it and actually mean it or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, the alarm goes off and they run after the alarm and they go to the flying saucer that – and now I thought – I remember this. The, I thought it would be like the flying saucer that we brought back from Planet X or the flying saucer that carried us from Planet X or the flying saucer that we're keeping because it's really cool to have a flying saucer. But no, it's a trophy. Mm -hmm. It's a flying saucer they kept as a trophy to remember – their trip to Planet X. Um, yeah. And they get inside the ship and ho ho, it wasn't really an alarm. It was a fake alarm. Johnny's there and it's happy birthday cake for Susan Storm, the invisible girl. Happy birthday. And while they're eating cake, Willie Lumpkin shows up again with more mail. I don't know if it's the next day after all that storytelling or if he just didn't get it all the first trip. Oh, go case, that's the end of the first story. Let's go with the latter. Yeah. Um, and I have the page in front of me now. It says the preceding story is our way of answering many of the interesting questions that our readers have written from time to time in future issues. We shall attempt to pictorially comment on other letters from you, our valued fans. We are lying. We never do this again. I do like that. They did it though. I think it's an interesting idea as, as a one-off thing. Yeah. I really like, it. I certainly like this part better than the back part of this comic, uh, especially since I've been reading the letter pages. So yeah, they actually are trying to answer some of the concerns or criticisms. Oh. Um, 
Any questions? Because they, they get, we get backstory in this. I was going to say, I was just about to say, I, I feel like they've flashbacked so many times already. We're only on issue 11. And I think <laughs> like the first five or so issues was a guaranteed how we got our powers flashback page. Right. Um, we don't need it again. And we got it again. But unlike last time, yeah, like we're getting a more embellished story. So there are some unanswered questions in here that were cool. What were those? Uh, or read uh, comes from millionaires. That was new. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's an easy way to answer where he gets all his money from, I guess. Yeah, um, I'm looking to see where it mentions that. What the actual phrasing is? He says he was his parents were millionaires or something. Or and I was a millionaire's son, and he was from the wrong side of the tracks. They were talking about. Oh, that's right. So yeah. So it makes it even worse that they went bankrupt two issues ago. <laughs> well, like he squandered his family inheritance. Well, he squandered the patents or the they said patents. He made money on patents. So maybe he didn't get any family inheritance. I don't know. Maybe. But he did they did make a cool million out of that movie, so yeah. that was enough to get them back on their feet again. Um and we get all this I wouldn't mind a million. I assume World War Two stuff. It would have to be World War II, wouldn't it? Have, it? I mean, it I guess it could be Korea. No, because I think the OSS is the giveaway there. Okay. He was working underground for the OSS with freaking machine gun. Reed Richards belly crawling with a machine gun. That's pretty awesome for Reed Richards. And uh, side note, he will uh, meet Nick Fury during this time in his life. We have that in it actually yeah. uh, not a – I mean – Sergeant Fury's a little ways down the road, but it's not that far before we see Reed Richards show up in the comic. So that makes me talk, want to talk about age, which we talked, which we touched on last time we talked about a Fantastic Four issue. But there is a letter page in here that says, how old are these guys? And their answer was Ben and Reed are in their late thirties. Sue is in her late twenties and Johnny is 17. So there's a 10 year age gap between Reed and Ben. And Sue, and another ten-year age gap between Sue and her brother. Right. And so, if World War II ended in forty-five, mm-hmm. and say maybe they were recruited at the beginning of the war, maybe they were recruited in nineteen forty-five. It doesn't say. Um, but anyway, they'd be about eighteen-ish, twenty, and then this is nineteen sixty-two. So what's that like? Twenty years later, twenty, twenty-three years later. Yeah. So they'd be in their late thirties, right? Right, but then there's a problem with Sue. What? Because if you do the exact same math, she's eight. She's what? She's eight. If he's 18 when he goes off to war, oh, 18 yes. or 20. No, yes, I agree with you. I thought you meant eight right now. I'm like, why does she have to be eight now? I don't understand. No, but, then she's eight or ten when he goes off to war, and he says, yes. all the time I was at the front, I dreamed of the day I would return home. To the girl who was always in my thoughts, the girl I had left behind. And hold on, folks, because this is going to get really bad really quick. She says, let's skip over that part of it. It's rather painful for me. (laughs) So essentially, what, he's a child molester? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. And he says... Sue, you know it's you I'm talking about. It's always been you since we were kids living together next door to each other. And it uh, it's it's bad, but it's all confused because he says we were kids. The letters page says there's a 10-year gap. And 
John Byrne fleshes out this moment. Uh-huh. John Byrne fleshes out the time when Reed Richards, as a young adult, goes over to the Stormhouse and prepubescent Sue is flirting with him. And he's awkward about it and he's uncomfortable uh-huh. with it, but you know, it's in, it's presented in the context of these were our early days of romance. So if this took place in like the 1800s and he came from a town of five people and you knew that eight year old girl was slaughtered for you for marriage someday mm-hmm. and you went off to war thinking that, you know, when I come back, she'll be in her, she'll be 18 or 16 or whatever. Or at least adolescent. That would be okay. But this is 1962, 1945, whenever the heck this happened. 40s. I mean, I guess you could argue that was still the case, but Eh. (laughs) it's weird. I will say that in recent years, they revisited that exact same era of Reed and Sue meeting. Um, And of course, this is like a 2015 story. So the whole World War II, all that was dropped. Mm Mm-hmm. And although she is a few years younger than Reed, it's a much more reasonable age. She's an adult, or at least a late teen. I forget exactly what. She's 20, maybe. Um, and he's a few years older, and it makes – it sits a lot better with the with the mores, <laughs> I should say. It's weird that they just got this wrong. Like, they couldn't do math in 1962? You know, I don't know, because, like – and if you take out that letter column of is specifying their age, it's still, if you put her on an age with them, mm-hmm. then everything makes so much more sense. Her gap between her and Johnny doesn't make as much sense. And so that has to be addressed. But like, if she's a handful of years younger than Reed and in her early to mid thirties when he's in his late thirties, I'll buy that for a dollar. Okay. Well, rather than have Reed be a child molester, which is not my favorite headcanon, I don't know about you, but, uh, why don't we just ignore the fact that they answered that in the letter column? Cause that doesn't mean anything. We have to go by the stories, right? right? So if we go by the stories, she has to be older. She has to be someone who's lived through World War II, whether obviously she wasn't in it, but she could have been in it in some sort of female capacity, maybe. Um, so her dad goes off to the war, right? And then when they come back, that's why there's such a big gap between her and Johnny because he was off fighting. And then he comes back and he and mom are happy they're reunited and they have another kid on accident or something like that. Like maybe that could work. You know, sometimes you get your freak pregnancy super late in life that you're not expecting. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I like that, especially since despite John Byrne clarifying all of this and making it much more visibly uncomfortable – we do have the modern retcon that puts them on a similar age. So I like the idea of ignoring, until we have to talk about it in 20 years for, briefly again, ignoring the fact that Susan was so young. And also, She's, she treats Johnny like her son sometimes, or she mothers him anyway. She really does. So, she mothers Johnny. So her being a much older sibling, it kind of makes sense that maybe at some point she had to take care of him or look after him because mom and dad aren't any younger. And right now aren't even around for whatever well, reason. Right. Cause they were old. They were old and now he's 17 years later. So yeah, they, I mean, we meet their dad. I don't know if we ever meet their mom or find out. I guess we eventually find out about their mom, but we meet their dad. Yeah. Okay. So, so I feel better. All right. That was really, I feel better too. That I think was we've, harrowing. I think we've, we've worked through that. <laughs> 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 but instead of we completely passed over Willie Lumpkin. Oh yeah. He's like adorable. Um, 
He's one of Stan Lee's characters from just before the Fantastic Four. He was doing a newspaper strip for a couple of years from 1959 to 61. Willie Lumpkin was the really? character. And yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. So he, he, uh, is one of the few characters to exist from other media brought into the Marvel universe. Wow. Um, let's see. We get to the part where Ben turns, we already did the part where the thing turns into Ben. Um, I don't know if we did, but this is all just regurgitation mostly at this point. Yeah. I don't even know if we really need to cover much of the rest of this story. I think we feel like the, the backstory is the crux of the issue. I mean, you talked about the Lincoln thing already. It's pretty absurd. And I also don't like when he breaks the fourth wall. So that is the one thing about the story I didn't like is that they just straight up, we're answering your letters, kids, literally right, right. now in panel pointing at you. That just kind of bugged a little bit. Um, I actually got to explain to my son this week what breaking the fourth wall was. He was watching a Pokemon video mm. called Breaking the Fourth Wall. And he's like, Dad, what does breaking the fourth wall mean? So I explained it all to him. So now he understands that and understand his Pokemon video. <laughs> Good. Evidently, Squirtle likes to break the fourth wall. I don't know. And Charmander was getting on his case. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think it was fun. Oh, there was uh, one other thing I want to talk about. The, okay. the whole Sue thing. Cause I, we made the dark joke about it, but whenever Reed says it's always been yours since we were kids, she replies, that's just it, Reed. I know how you feel. I don't ever want to hurt you. And he assumes it's about Namor. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's about Namor. Maybe Reed is being a bit more expressive about his feelings for Sue since they last saw Namor and he started saying stuff about it. But yeah. Sue's not there when it comes to Reed. And I think it's because of whatever it is that they broke up about to begin with. I mean, they were engaged in the first issue and then not. And our headcanon on the show is because Reed fragged their lives. <laughs> yes. And, and she's she's not okay with Reed yet. No. She doesn't say so, Mariner. They did that in the – the comic book within a comic book, mm-hmm. but she doesn't say it here. You're um, right. All she says is, I don't want to hurt you, but, and then it lingers. And then he goes into, let's talk about our origins. And maybe she still feels some compassion for Samantha as like a person of nobility. And she did kind of have a thing for him, at least briefly. Maybe she still sort of does, but that's not why she's turning Reed away. No. She's turning Reed away because she doesn't love him right now. Um, or at least isn't sure. I don't know. I think, I think the Fantastic or Submariner will come back again pretty soon and we'll see if she has the hots for him still. But I would like to think that my Sue at this point has gotten over that because he keeps being a jerk. Mm-hmm. Like he was kind of borderline jerk with the Doctor Doom crossover. But then this last issue, he literally tries to kill three out of four of them just so he could be with her. So yeah, she should be like, you know what? I think I'm done with you. Right. Um, and and on then the last page to continue the whole Sue drama. She says, I realize what a fool I've been, indulging in self-pity. Why should we try to comfort you, to Ben? You're no monster. You're one of the most wonderful people in the world. And he replies, sure, kid, sure. Maybe someday you'll be able to look at me and when you say that without flinching at the sight. And it's like, you know, it's Sue. Don't toy with Ben's feelings. I don't think she flinches when she looks at him. I think he's just making that up. Maybe he is. Maybe he's self-pitying there. Yep. Self-conscious. She's being really super flattering to him right now, and he's like, "I, you, you can't mean it. it it's not going to work. I, I, yeah, I'm not going to let myself hear it." Well, I think she does mean that he's one of the most wonderful people in the world. It doesn't mean she has to go on a date with him. No, I agree. I just think that from his point of view, well, yes, he's like, yeah. But you know, I, think- I totally agree. Women being nice to men because right. they're human beings. Right. Is perfectly acceptable and has absolutely no romantic promise involved. <laughs> right. Right. But we just don't take it that way sometimes. Uh, yeah. And then we end the issue with, uh, or the story with 
Ben eating cake, which I think is very amusing. I'm all about Ben eating cake. I know. He likes and a really big slice of cake. He's eating leftover cake in the next issue. I know. I think he's, it's the same cake. Is it the next issue that he's eating cake? I saw, yeah. I saw him eating cake somewhere. No, it's the next issue. He He's hanging out with Reed. Okay. Yeah, page five. Page five. That's right. He's eating cake. Um, no, 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 no. I'm looking at my notes. It's a Strange Tales panel where he's eating cake in Strange Tales. That's while, ne- um, yeah, that's, anyways, that's, that's next it. issue. All right. So um, I don't know. I think the second story is going to go really briefly. Yeah. I have almost nothing to say about it. I kind of hate well, it. Wow. Really? You don't like yeah, The Impossible Man? I'm sorry. <laughs> I love The Impossible Man, but go ahead. No, I like The Impossible Man. I just oh. kind of hate the story. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> well, go ahead, DC fanboy. Yeah. Um, Talk about The Impossible Man. So The Impossible Man is this green dude with purple undies and suspenders mm-hmm. with a, like a sort of diamond pointy head. Yep. Um, who lands on Earth from the planet Pop-Up, mm-hmm. and he can basically turn himself into anything he wants. And he doesn't understand anything about Earth and tries to fit in and messes up all the stuff. Um, he finds out he needs money to get stuff, so he robs a bank. The Fantastic Four come and fight him, and he can literally turn into anything he wants. So he's able to repel all of their attacks. Right. Like he turns into um, a spiky something or other to to poke the thing. Um, he turns, I don't know, he turns into steel to deflect police bullets. Um, he turns into a water balloon to douse the torch. Um, all this stuff. And so they're like, well, crap. So they are defeated and they leave because they don't know what else to do. Um, and eventually Reed gets an idea of how to deal with them. He tells everyone to leave him alone, and eventually the impossible man gets bored and leaves the planet. Yep. <laughs> That's it. So how many pages was this story? This was eleven pages. And how many pages was the uh origin recap slash let's answer all your questions? I think also eleven pages. Okay. It seemed longer. Because the other the other comic was eleven and thirteen. No, no eleven eleven. No eleven eleven with a pinup of Submariner. Yeah. So that's content. So technically that's 11 and 12 or 11, 11 and 1. Yeah. Um, it seemed like a much faster read because, you know, nothing really happens. But the, the the panel on page two where he's like, cash? What is cash? Yeah. I don't know what it was, but I read this to Lily when she was small, when she was like six years old. Uh-huh. I, did, or I did a voice for the impossible man. Oh, now we have to hear it. Come on. I don't remember, but for the longest time, cash? What is cash? That is was exactly like this in how joke he sounds. Between yes. us. <laughs> uh, You're all a bunch of sore heads. That's what you are. I mean, I'm a fan of the impossible man. He obviously doesn't bring any like real drama to any story he's ever been in, probably. Because uh, you know it's just going to be silly fun. Mm-hmm. He's not like... He's dangerous kind of accidentally or because he maybe doesn't care, but he's not like trying to hurt anybody per se. Like he's not, I'm going to take over the world. He's not that guy. So, oh, he does actually say that in this issue, doesn't he? You you can't change the things like I can. So that makes me the most powerful person on earth. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't think he's actually going to like take over the world. Right. He's just like, I'm I'm super, I can do anything. So the shtick is that he is from the planet pop up and his world is so dangerous that his people 
advanced evolutionarily like every five seconds or something like that. Something like that. Right? So that's why he can shape change into anything because unlike us where it takes, you know, hundreds or millions or thousands of years to evolve in any form. And I think it's the same origin story for Chameleon Boy. Okay. From the Legion. I think Durlins can change into anything because their planet is also very dangerous. Right. Okay. It's a bit of a ripoff of um, – I don't know if this stays that way. I've never heard that before. Uh, the the pop up being so dangerous. Yeah, but I don't know. Could I just knew he was from the planet pop up? I didn't really know what the what the reasoning behind that was. To me, um, I mean, let's just say it. Obviously, he's uh, uh, I can't pronounce it. Mixius Pitalix. Yes, which is actually canonized in, later in in Superman number forty nine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. But did you notice that the dialogue from Superman 49 is literally out of this issue? I think I remember that now that you say it. So for those who yeah, don't – He doesn't only just – because for those who don't know, in Superman, there's a Mixus Pitlick story. And at the end of the comic, he leaves mm-hmm. and we see like green legs with purple boots walking past um, – and there's dialogue that evokes the Apostle Man. I didn't realize it was the exact same dialogue from this comic. So what you see is you see an inverted Impossible Man. You see a purple-skinned, green-clad figure. And he thinks something like, I can never remember what I look like in all these different dimensions I go to. Oh, yeah. And then what we also see is blue legs with blue boots walking away. And one says, let's go, gang. Turn around and walk away from him. And then there's a thought bubble that says one wallop. That's all I'd ask. Just one. So it's like he teleported to Marvel or at least an alternate reality of this Marvel story. And Mixius Pitalix and Impossible Man are the same character. I like that idea because they're very, you know, mischievous sprite similar concepts. Yeah. I, my favorite Impossible Man story, if we're going to jump ahead someday, is New Mutants. I don't know what number. I can't remember, but it's a Chris Claremont, Paul Neary story. I believe it's an annual. And he he goes – he faces off against Warlock in a shape-changing competition. And it's like one of the funnest, most fun – funnest? Is funnest the word? The, one of yeah. The, one of the funnest stories to read. If you're just looking for a good laugh, it's a great it's story. It's annual three. It's the last Chris Claremont New Mutants comic because yeah. it's after he wraps his run. A few months after um, Simonson takes over the book is the annual for that year, and it's a Chris Claremont story. So Chris Claremont, New Mutants Annual 3, 1985 or 6 maybe. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely worth reading. Totally. But the Warlock are- is also a crazy fun character, and they're yes. two crazy fun characters going at it with each other. Yeah. And there's lots of there, – there's so many ref- pop culture references in that issue. Oh, yeah. Um. And it has a yeah, great a ending. It has a great ending. I won't spoil. But yeah, one of them definitely wins. I forget how it ends. But that's well, okay. Don't tell me. I'll tell you off the air. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just fun. But like, yeah, there's no no stakes because it's impossible, man. So, but I like that the Fantastic Four sometimes have characters or adventures that aren't all about, you know, saving New York. Yeah, I don't know why I I, I can't clarify it, but I like I turned to this comic and I was like <sighs> okay yeah so it's just it's just there <laughs> um did you have anything else you want to talk to about it nope well that puts us in a great place to go on to strange tales 105 which have we um 
Have we changed weeks? Checking the calendar real quick. We have. Strange Tales 105 is in November 8th, 1962. Okay. And it returned. It's the return of, um, the wizard. I said, um, because I really always want to say the wizard for some reason, but it's the wizard who we also saw like Loki, what, two issues ago, three issues ago, something like that. Um, and that ended where he got outsmarted by the human torch because human torch had his sister come bail him out and make it seem like human torch had powers of the mind that he could move things, but it was really just his sister being invisible. And that somehow shocked the wizard and then they arrested him. And that's where we start this story. And just for the record, that was three issues ago because okay. then we had the dimension X princess and then the baseball beat. Okay. So he's in jail now and he's decided the best way to get out is to be a model prisoner and once he's been a model prisoner for a while, I don't know if it says how long, but once he's been one for a while, they give him access to, or they put him to be like a, I don't know, see, I've forgotten, a cook in a kitchen or something like that. Something that involves chemicals. Maybe a janitor? I don't know. They give him access to Joker's storage closet, and he steals a bunch of, like, chemicals, and he brings them to this room, and he creates this bomb thing that blows a hole in his wall. But then he just like hides under the bed and every single guard in the prison runs through the hole thinking he's ran out of the hole when really he's been there the whole time and he just walks out the front door and he takes like a bus or something back to his big awesome Bill Gates mansion uh, where we saw him three or four issues ago. He had like the air chair and all this awesome stuff. He had the greatest pad ever. Yeah, he got a really cool pad and it's really tricked out. So tricked out that when the police show up to like arrest him again, thinking he's probably just went back home, he actually has a force field already ready to go, turns it on, they can't get in. Then he turns on his TV, takes over the local network, and challenges the human torch to a uh, second round. May the best man win. So, of course, Johnny the Hothead, I'm going to go after this guy again. I'm going to prove that I'm the best. But his sister's at home today. His mom. His mom's sister. Is at home and she's like, No, you will not, young man, brother. And he's like, Aw, mom, sis. Okay, fine, I won't. But then he creates like a fake human torch <laughs> and walks out. And instead of telling you to like follow Pace Bob P, he says, like, Stand in my room. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, Hey, Johnny, why are you flamed? Hey, that's just a flame. That's not Johnny. He escaped and he's going to go do that thing I told him not to do. So she calls up Reed and Reed's hanging out in his lab and behind him is a, is the thing eating her birthday cake. And she's like, he's going to go face off on this guy and he's going to die. And Reed's like, you know what? That punk should have listened to you. He needs to learn his lesson. We are not going to help him as the Fantastic Four. He's on his own. So back to Reed or not back to Reed, back to the hot headed human torch who shows up at the mansion. Uh, the wizard puts down the force field and lets him in. He tries to kill him in various ways. Like he shoots a missile at him, but that just melts like a bullet would. Then he tries to, what is it like nerve gas? He tries to, he fills a room full of nerve gas thinking that'll work. But the human torch like creates like this ball of fire around him so that the gas can't get to him. Meanwhile, while the torch is dealing with that, the wizard sees that, that there was a, a break in. But he doesn't see anything on his view screen. So he surmises that must mean it's the invisible woman. So he goes down to where she should be and he sprays this like gas around until he finds her. And then he traps her into the, into a room just as Johnny, who's escaped the nerve gas room, finds the wizard and he pops in and says, I'm going to beat you up. And the wizard says, not so fast, hothead. Um, 
if you do anything to me, your sister's going to die because in five minutes, this room she's trapped in is going to blow up. And he goes, oh, no, not my sister. He's like, listen, I'm a decent guy. If you flame down, I'll let you inside. You can get her out. Uh, That sounds like a good deal, he thinks. So he flames down, goes inside. The wizard locks him in with his sister and then tells him, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you that if the temperature increases in this room, that little hammer on the ceiling is going to strike a bomb and blow it up early. Ah, shucks. So now we're both going to die. And then the wizard, like, leaves or something. Um, So Johnny, uh, uh, what does he do? Oh, he decides, well, that's an easy solution. He just shoots the hammer with a fireball and it blows up before it can strike anything. And then like he green lanterns his flame and turns it into like this rocket launcher thing and puts the bomb from the room in it and he shoots it into space or something. And they escape. And then what the heck happens? I think they just recapture the wizard after that. I don't remember. They must have just cap Yeah. They just captured him, right? Yeah, they they they, they put water on the floor to make oh, yeah, yeah. slip up. Yeah. He uses his flame to set off the, the water sprinklers. Yeah. And he, uh, wizard slips and falls and they capture him. And they capture him because it's two Fantastic Four against one villain and then against one uh, Frightful Four. Oh, flash forward. And, and then uh, they go back to the house and Sue's like, man, don't make me rescue you again. And he's like, yeah, because then I'll just be in more trouble than I already was. Or something like that. And she kicks him in the butt. The end. Remember how we were trying to feel better about Susan Storm mm-hmm. in the Fantastic Four issue? Yeah. Yeah, this this issue doesn't help. Why? Because she is like a pain and useless. Oh, that kind of feel better. I thought you meant feel better that she wasn't molested by Reed Richards. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, that too. But I don't read the good. letter pages. I haven't. I like Sue. I admit that she has very little power compared to the other three. Uh-huh. Um, all she can do is turn invisible at this point. She has no muscle, which she will later get in spades. But well, it's just, I, I like mean, because she's the only one that's not crazy on that team. No, I like Susan Storm. I like her as a character. I like her as a character at this phase in her development. And I think she's been useful. I think more than twice based on, you know, Fantastic Four 10 or whatever, or 11 we just covered. They they could only come up with two times she was useful. And they didn't even come up with the two interesting times, in my opinion. Um but it seems like she's useful a lot. And yes, she's also bait often, like this issue and with Dr. D. Yeah. But I just feel like if you're gonna, if you're gonna run an issue that says, Hey, letter writers, no, Susan Storm is cool. Mm-hmm. Then maybe that same month you might want to make Susan Storm be cool. Yes. As opposed to uncool when like they do in this issue. But they do flash back to the last time the wizard was here. And she was cool because she bailed out her little brother. Yes, which he delightfully or, or conveniently forgets at the end whenever he's giving her a hard time. But I, I go back and forth on that because A, he should remember that she helped him. But also B, it's a really nice bit of brother-sister ribbing that happens all the time in brother-sister relationships. Mm-hmm. So oh, I, I like kind of want to give it a pass. It was cute, yeah. Yeah. It's a great panel. Take that um, to ungrateful little beast. That's the problem with <laughs> gals. <laughs> no sense of humor. Yeah. The wizard is not as damned ugly as he was before. At least no. not quite. But he's still very distinct looking. Yeah. He has a great look. It's possible, and it's also possible because, you know, I'm in love with her at this point, but I really like that she wasn't in her Fantastic Four outfit this entire issue. 
She wasn't? No. At the beginning when she's just around the house. Oh, yeah. She's dressed normal. I don't think we've seen her just dressed normal. Well, we probably have. We probably have. We have. Yeah, we have. Just last in the Fantastic Four shoot. Yeah. Um, This is, I mean, worth mentioning that we have a recurring villain for Johnny. This is the first recurring villain for Johnny. Um, Ultimately, he becomes a Fantastic Four villain, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, In fact, the whole... The whole Frightful Four, except for Medusa, is pulled out of this comic book. It's really weird. Can I say, though, that the last time the wizard was here, the big dilemma was reveal your face to me or or I'll throw away the evidence. Either way, you lose-lose kind of situation. Uh-huh. It's a stupid secret identity crud that I hate about this sh- title. Yeah. This issue, they don't care. Does he show his face in this issue? Well, deep power, and I'll let you in the room. Now, they show him pressed against the wall like he couldn't see the face, but then they're talking uh, to each other on the screen. Yeah, and I did make a note how he's always calling Sue your female partner. Yeah. Which, not too much longer, that would be, that would be sister. Um, I do, I do want to take a moment here. I think I, I mentioned this to you off, off mic, but, um, I kind of regret spoiling the uh where the secret identity thing goes mm-hmm. um because it would have it would have been a neat moment when we get to issue six and you're like oh finally um they let this go and it, we we could have that moment because you didn't know it was coming so um my policy and 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 you can do this too when we get to comics i haven't read yet um with spoilers is we can talk about stuff that happens way down the road yeah but if there's a story or a, or a development that we're in the middle of and you don't know how it goes, I'm not going to spoil it because it's like it'll be a we'll we'll find out soon. Does that make sense? Sure. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to try to avoid immediate spoilers. I mean, like Spider-Man eventually gets cloned. Okay, that's the thing that happens. What? But, yeah. <laughs> um. But like you know, if you if we're in Spider-Man. 16 and you don't know how the whole trilogy with 17 and 18 works out then then you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spoil that i don't okay well but uh but yeah they don't care and i there was also a letter column letter page why do i keep calling a column there was a letter submitted to a letter column Mm -hmm. uh where the guy was totally complaining about how that makes no sense that he has a secret identity and they wrote back yeah we kind of messed up on that one but we're working on a way to get out of it oh Okay. And I don't know, I can't remember what issue that was, but it was probably in an FF issue or something. It would have to be in an FF issue because I think, I think they're, are, are they the only ones wanting, writing letters right now or is there Hulk, Hulk letters? Hulk page? runs letters. I don't know about these anthology books. Um, I should be reading the letters pages. I feel like I'm a bad podcast. Not I, I'm not like reading, I'm reading them. I kind of just skim them really fast. Well, the thing is that if I read them, I would want to talk about them. And I don't want to spend a whole lot. Of, I mean, it's cool no. bringing out like tidbits like that, but I don't want to write down the right, podcast right, right. letters pages. Um, which is why I'm kind of enjoying reading the Marvel Masterworks because mm-hmm. we're talking about the stories, not about the comics. Yeah. Um, which is different for me and I, and I, and I enjoy that. But other than, um, oh, go ahead. Got anything else? No, no, no. That's, it was. The only other comment that I had was on page five. Page five. Okay. Um, you said that he was still eating the same cake as. That looks like a pie, uh, huh? From last time, it might be a pie. I love how the size of the of the piece. And I, my my thought when I read that was like same thing, same. 
I would definitely be eating a giant piece of pie like that. I um, he's also equally adorable eating pie or cake. And mm-hmm. I would really like it if every issue that the thing ever appears in, he's eating some massive slice of something. That'd be great. That would be awesome. I liked that Reed was like, you know what? Forget it. Johnny's got to do it on his own. Yeah. He's going to be part of this team. He's got he's to be able to hold up for himself. That was a nice moment. Well, it'd be one thing if Sue said he's going off to take on Dr. Doom by himself. I would, mm-hmm. I would hope he'd try and help. But, you know, the wizard, it's like, really? I've met Bill Gates. He's not that threatening. <laughs> my my family has known his family for years, so I could see him just not really worrying about it too much. Although he does like try and kill them, and there is a bomb, but that's all I had on this issue. The only other thing I I mentioned is the Green Lantern uh, rocket launcher. Mm-hmm. They really need to like cut back on these like Human Torch shenanigans. His use of fire becomes a bit. Beyond the suspension, willing suspension of disbelief. I'll make a catapult of flame and then sh- yeah, no. shoot the bomb into the sky. It's like, how did that work? But okay. Flame is not solid. That's just nitpickiness. Otherwise, strange shells. Yeah. Gonna be so, so which one was better, this wizard or last wizard? Mm. Kind of the same, huh? Kind of the same, but I think I might have actually enjoyed this story more. Yeah. Um, I feel like there, there was more character stuff in it and. Yeah, it was a more interesting ride. Yeah, because the last wizard he like mara- mar- uh, dresses up as Human Torch, and then there's all this crazy like I have photos and evidence, and you have to reveal your secret identity, and it's just a bunch of baloney. Whereas this one was a little and, more fun. And Sue does help him at the end, but it's kind of an unbelievable moment. It's like stretching. Yeah, what they could have actually had planned for. Yeah. Um, Speaking of stretching, how about we shrink instead? <laughs> Whatever you're going with that. <laughs> okay, so um, we might be running a little bit long. I'm not checking the time, but we kind of have a goal. Uh, we want to hit Spider-Man by episode 14, so we're gonna we're gonna do what it takes to make that happen, and we're gonna go into Tales to Astonish 40, our last comic for this episode, and um, it is also the last comic for the month of November 1962. Yay! Yay! Uh, having been released the second week, November 8th, 1962, and this is the day the Ant-Man failed. Oh, no. So, I know, right? And it's the, kind of a bummer. And the book is over. No, it's not. Oh. He's been betrayed by the ants. He's been trapped by multiple people. He's failing. It's just it's just terrible. And he's our, like, one honest-to-goodness follows all the tropes superhero in this. Yeah. All he needs is a girlfriend, and he's got it. Right? Mm-hmm. That'll never happen. No. Until Ant Man gets a girlfriend, make cards uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Um so Tales of Failure, number forty. It starts off with like Chekhov's gas mask. So Henry Pym is playing with this flexible adheres to your face gas mask for no reason. And <laughs> it's only in one panel. And then meanwhile, we switch over to um hey look, there's a hijacker and this Captain Picard hair dude is complaining about how his money shipments keep getting hijacked. Like his armored trucks. Like back in the day when to actually have money transferred from one account to another, you had to put the money into a box mm-hmm. and put that box on a truck and put that truck on the road and take that money to the other place. You couldn't just say, do 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 computer numbers to go down here, numbers go up there, magic. Well, they still have those trucks. 
Well, yeah, <laughs> but not for this. Not for this. Um, so he wishes the ant man were clever enough to catch the hijacker. The ants over here, they send the message to ant man who's like, Oh, better stop playing with my gas mask and go help the ants. So he programs his catapult with Google Maps <laughs> and, um, it shoots him off to the, uh, armored truck company. Um, inside he talks to Captain Picard and gets the idea for the job. He's going to go catch the hijacker. There is a shipment of bags of money. You can tell they're bags of money because they have big dollar signs on them. Right. Um, and somebody walks up to me and says, here, John, here's a bag of money. And I say, thank you. No, what happens is Ant-Man gets sick. He's like, oh, man, got cramps. Must be my appendix. I, sorry, guys, I can't help today. I can't catch the hijacker. I, no, 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 it's real. I, I'm not faking at all. I'm totally <laughs> sick. I'm, I'm going to kill over, over here. Die. <laughs> And the, he he gets on an ant, and the ant carries him away. <laughs> Hurry, little friend. So um, they're like, well, crap, what are we going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> this whole plan was so the ant man could capture the hijacker. And Katapakara's like, well, crap, I've got to do this. I, I, I can't just not send the money across town. I'm committed to it. So I've got to send the money across town. So... They send the money across town, and by across town, I mean through this, like, really random mountain pass mm -hmm. where there's a truck, like, blocking the road. And they're like, oh, no, there's a truck. He looks like he's a he looks like he's broken down. We're police. We should help him. Uh, but, but what about the hijacker? He might, you know, hijack us. So, like, oh, what to do, what to do. And then the truck, like, turns around and, like, puts its back toward them and opens up. Like, oh, no, what's going on? It's a giant magnet! Giant magnet pulling us in. Oh no. And so the truck, get, the armored truck gets pulled up into the big old truck rig. And that's the last time those cops were ever seen alive. Yep. Um, but turns out Ant-Man didn't really have appendicitis. What? What the even? I know. He was hiding inside something inside the truck. Maybe. I don't know. Um, no, I remember he gives like a flashback. I went home. I went all the way home and got in my catapult and like re-aimed it and shot it again and just landed here. It's pretty great. Um, and the hijacker, uh, he faces off with the Ant-Man. The Ant-Man actually is kind of like scared of this fight because he's, you know, tiny and hijacker is a full-size man. Mm -hmm. So he like hides in the workings of the truck, goes in through the keyhole, has to dodge the key in the starter, hides in the engine block, but then Hijacker's like, meh, meh. and Ant-Man's like, oh no, the sound is too loud for my little shell ant ears. Um, and he, uh, what does he do? He rips out the wires to stop the horn yep. so that he still has the advantage. Yep. Um, he sends his ants after Hijacker and somehow overcomes him and turns out that the Hijacker was really the same Catch Picard guy from the beginning of the story. Yep. Which has happened because, three times now? Yeah. Well, this exact same plot structure happened with the Protector. And the one before that, didn't it? Well, there was one, the one that, like, Comrade X, at least that had oh, the, yeah, the yeah. genius of being, like, um, a gender swap on it, so we weren't expecting. Yeah, true. But 
yeah, this is the third time that we've had somebody report a problem who turns out to be the cause of the problem. Really? Like anytime Ant-Man gets called, he should just show up and punch them in the face immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so he did look mannish. I'm sorry, Austin. <laughs> that's it's his mother. That's my mother. That man's a man, baby. Um, so, um yeah. This, Yay. This had a terrible ending. But up until the ending, I was really digging it. I was, I was, I was, I was enjoying it. Yeah. Now, he was inventing that gas mask, which is still, you know, Chekhov's gas mask, but he likes to invent things for the government. That's, mm-hmm. um, and it's made of unstable molecules, which makes me again think he invented them. Right. Or he sure thinks he did anyway, because he keeps using them on stuff. My thought is like, didn't your mother tell you not to put plastic bags over your head because they're going to <laughs> adhere yourself, adhere themselves to your head? That's exactly what they do. Yeah. And you know how I know this, Mike? Can I tell you a story? Yeah. So you grow up being told, "Don't do this; it's dangerous." <laughs> and then you reach an adult level of maturity, and some of those things you're like. It's not that dangerous. I can handle any possible outcomes. And so you try it anyway. Yeah. You know. And it didn't uh, work. Well, so one time I'm like, okay, grocery bag right here. If I put it over my head and something bad happens, I can pull it back off again. I'm not a toddler. Right. So I put the plastic bag over my head, kind of near my face. And I inhaled. That sucker plasters itself to your face. It went right over my mouth and nostrils, like, like, like in a fraction of a second. I'm like, holy shit, that really is dangerous. <laughs> and I was fine. I took it off. But did you know that my wife judged me for this? Of course. You did it in front I of told her. her. Oh, you and she's told like, her. oh my God, John, why did you do that? And I'm like, cause I wanted to know. She's like, didn't you know it would? Anyways. So, um, Turns out, kids, don't put plastic bags over your head. Unless they're made of – There's a good reason behind that thought process. Unless they're made of unstable molecules, then you're okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Oh, that was the other thing. In the beginning when he's meeting with Captain Picard, he's like Mm -hmm. noticing his Inca collection. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yes, I spent some time in – the Indians. I went. I spent some time with the Indians in the jungle, but that's not important. It's like, well, we know that's going to be important, don't we? <laughs> that's not important right now. It is the opposite. Of I can't even remember why it was important because he thought, like, oh, what? Did, oh, because those Indians used a certain type of gas that this guy's using to hijack the trucks or something like that. How did he know? Oh, saw the primitive statues in his office. And I learned he spent time in the jungles of Peru for. I know that the Indians there have an ancient vapor, the inhaling of which causes a lapse of memory, which is what was happening to all these guards. Oh, that's right. No one, everyone who lost money to the armored truck hijacker couldn't remember why or how. Right. And that's why this guy is called, does he have a name? Uh, the the villain is the hijacker. The hijacker, but he wears a gas mask and basically he pulls you into the back of his truck and then he just fills the truck with gas and he walks in there with a gas mask and no problem. And that's Takes why – money, releases you and you have no idea what's up. That's why Chekhov's gas mask is that uh, Hank Pym was playing with his newfound gas mask and then he had, ended up needing it for this particular mission. Uh, and you also forgot to talk about 
his awesome ant plane. Ant plane. He didn't go home. He went to like this place that he worked out ahead of time, and he had a rubber band shoot him to the top of a roof. And on the roof, he had a little mini plant gas powered airplane that he used to follow the truck around in. Oh, that's right, the toy airplane. I don't know. If, okay. I don't know if he's going to keep doing that, but that's just like a new gadget. Yeah, that is neat. No, my my brain saw the catapult in its head, so I figured it was the same catapult as before. Um, but no, it's not his home catapult. It's like another catapult, he, like a more primitive one. Yeah. It doesn't have Google Maps programmed in it. No, it's just like a rubber band on a block of wood, like an old rubber yeah. band gun. Um, was- whenever he changes at the beginning, he says, the fumes are acting on my cell tissues. I'm getting smaller and smaller. And I'm like, I love when fumes act on my cell tissues. That's, that's great. That's a great phrasing right there. Why does he say that every time, by the way? Like, I know he's just doing it to communicate to us, but. I don't know. Like, we get it, Pim. Yeah. Do you think the Avengers are ever like, yeah, we know. You, you shrink. And, um, we've established for a few issues now that he always lands on a pile of ants. But in this one, he has misjudged uh-huh. his angle of descent. And that he's going to slam into a wall and become pim paste. <laughs> instead, but the ants, yeah, they scurry up, and he lands. He collides into the ants instead. They save him. I'm pretty sure he killed like five of them. Probably. They don't look. If he's gonna. They don't look good. If he's gonna hit the wall hard enough to hurt himself, he definitely hits it hard enough to hurt ants. I hope Dave is okay. Yeah, really. And Antoine. Oh my god. Uh. I liked the fight. I thought it was really, you know, that's one thing like we've talked about is the whole perspective thing is clever. But in this this particular one worked really good where he goes inside the engine and dodges the key and the horn's really loud. And he gets yeah. he gets the ants to, like, turn on the windshield wiper so he can get flung into the guy's face and rip his gas mask off and stuff. That's all cool. It was a really, really cool sequence. Now, it makes me think if he can go into the – why didn't he just hide inside the truck? Uh, like, that's instead a good of question. bothering to go back to the, like, t- so he leaves the scene and says, oh, I'm going to go have my appendix taken out. He's tiny. He could just go back when no one's looking and get in the truck. And then instead of having to figure out where they went, he's just in the truck when it happens. But then they wouldn't have had four panels of, you know, ant plane fun. Oh, you know what? He might not have had the gas mask with him. No, he had the gas mask with him and ready. He didn't go back home for it. Yeah, it's just a bag. He probably put it in his pocket. <laughs> so yeah, I think it would have been more efficient for him to like hide in the car, but yeah. it would, you know, then we'd have the toy plane. Right. I wish they would have made the plane more Ant Man themed somehow. Like you, you think they'd have figured that out by now that that's important stuff. It's just like a blue plane. Yeah, they have the Ant brand. Um, the fact that it's small is kind of anti. I don't know. Yeah, it is literally complete with a my tiny model plane, complete with a gas engine. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty neat, I guess. Better than flying. Well, he doesn't fly with ants yet, but better than crawling around with ants. At least he can get across the city now. Yeah. If he uses it again. So he hopefully will be getting more interesting or at least more varied plot lines yeah. coming up. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking ahead just because I'm impatient. And um, 41, 42, 43, 44. 44 is Wasp. Okay. Yeah. Some female could be fun. Especially the wasp because yeah. she's a character. Yeah, the wasp is a fun character. Mm-hmm. We can we could talk about the problematics with her and Hank and my personal headcanon for all that when we get there, but as a character she's the elite. she'll be fun to have around. Yeah. Um all right. So, so that was the end we're of, done with that one? That was the end of this month. 
That was the end of the month, so it's time for another top and bottom picks. Oh, man. So we started out just a little bit of this month, last episode, with the Incredible Hulk 5. We had Tyrannus and General Fang. Mm-hmm. And then everything we've done this episode. So Thor versus Loki 2, um, the two-story Fantastic Four with the Day in the Life and Pop-Up, Strange Shells 105 Return of the Wizard, and The Hijacker. This is a tough month. A bit. I didn't pre-write mine down, so I had to like well, decide it on the show here. I'll say again, the greatest comic magazine ever gets my vote for the best. Okay. Because even though it was an origin, it expanded on it. It was kind of interesting. We got more interest, more into the characters, even if a lot of the flashback later gets retconned out because it's, you know, World War II. But, uh, and I didn't hate Impossible Man. I thought he was fun. So that gets my, plus or favorite vote and i'm really struggling on the least favorite because they're all kind of oh hulk let's go hulk five yeah because (laughs) i forgot about that the whole the reds thing was really lame and even though tyrannus was kind of interesting i did like how he like really like used and abused the hulk it just would have benefited from being a full issue i think it was too fast um too much too much info in 11 pages i guess Sounds good. Um, so I'm going to go with my top is not the Fantastic Four. Okay. Um, Day in the Life was fun. Uh, it's not a huge game changer or anything. And I, I don't like the pop-up man story. So, um, hmm, that, that really makes it a struggle between <laughs> Thor versus Loki and Ant-Man versus John Luke Picard. <laughs> and honestly, it has, it has a predictable ending, but, just while we're sitting here talking about it, I had a lot of fun going through the story. And I mean, I was laughing out loud right here, you know, so I'm going to go Ant-Man as my top pick for this month. Yeah. Um, I think it was a more creative story. Yeah. And then my bottom, I am right there beside you with the Hulk. I yeah. Mean, yeah. So the next Hulk issue is the last one and it's Steve Ditko oh. art for an entire. Really? Movie. Yeah. Steve Ditko takes us out on the Hulk. Coincidentally, Steve Ditko also brings us back to the Hulk and tells to astonish in a year and a half. Um, Wait, when does the last issue of the Hulk? Two months from now, huh? Yeah. Okay. We'll, um, we'll do it just after Spider-Man. So, spoilers, he shows up next month in Fantastic Four. Oh, yes. Yeah. So we actually do have two more Hulk stories coming up pretty quick. And then back to back. and then the month after is his last issue. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. But that's probably an hour for this episode, right? I think over. So yeah, a little bit over. So a little behind the scenes for you kids out there. Uh, John and I just read a bunch of these issues and kind of have like a brain cue so that we go in and we don't know how many we're going to talk about. And uh, the last couple episodes have run long and we're actually out of brain cue tonight officially for the first time. Yeah. So um, usually there's one or two issues that we just didn't cover because we want to we want to keep these to right around an hour. Mm-hmm. Um but, but yeah, we'd like to get to Spider-Man. So we made it a little bit longer this time. And then Spider-Man is six comic books away. You know, if it's too long, you can always hit pause and go have some lunch and then come back and hit play again. It's not really that big a deal. All right. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> why, don't you, uh, why don't you tell us where we can go? <laughs> well, where you guys can go is you can go to makearsmarvel.com where you can find our Facebook, Google Plus, Twitter, and YouTube links. And you can also find our 
feeds for iTunes or just a standard old RSS feed that you can plug into any sort of player. And if you take a moment to, we have like what, we're on 12 episodes now. So we've got some episodes under our belt that you've listened to. Hopefully you can take the time to give us a little iTunes review or maybe a Facebook, Facebook review. I know they do that now. Uh, I'm not sure where else you can review us or just leave us some comments uh, or email us at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. And um, we haven't done any thank you for liking us the last couple episodes because we're kind of at this point where the excitement over the trailer has passed, but we haven't started actually releasing new episodes yet. So the likes are kind of coming in slowly, which is fine. That's to be expected. But um, we'll start that back up again whenever hopefully people start yeah, because of new episodes well, finding the show and liking it. We're going too long on these anyway, so that's okay. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so write us emails and tell us if you know of anything about these stories that have, like, continuity impact. Or if you know of any retcons that directly affect the stories we've talked about and might change perspective on them. And um, and I would still really love to hear from anybody who actually experienced these firsthand. And if definitely you knew what that was like and if you felt something different about Marvel, maybe be interested in any of that. Definitely. And um, until next time, or until Willie Lumpkin decides he's going to start dating Peter Parker's Aunt May. Make ours Marvel. Marvel.